What a Savior we serve in Christ our King. And one of the challenges for the Church of Jesus Christ today is to take the good news of the Gospel, the story of the resurrection, to people all over the world who've yet to hear His name. And that's something we are very committed to here at Bloomfield Baptist Church. And so as we prepare to receive this offering, if you would pray with me that God would use these resources for the furtherment of His kingdom, both here in Nelson County, throughout this nation, and throughout the world. Also be mindful this Lord's Day as we pray for our offering that there are other churches in our community, other churches throughout the world who are gathering, some already have, some will soon gather, to praise the name of Christ, to lift His name on high. And they are brothers and sisters with us in the Gospel. And so we want to pray for them as well, specifically today. And we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ just up the road at Chaplain Baptist Church and Pastor Heath Woolman as he prepares to share the gospel there, as we share the gospel here, pray that God's name would be glorified. So if you would pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the many ways that you have blessed us. And Lord, I pray now as we make this offering that we would not make this out of convenience or out of what we feel is a little extra, but Lord, that we would give sacrificially that the work of the gospel might be expanded throughout the world. And Lord, we thank You for the gospel work You've called us to here in Bloomfield, in Nelson County. And we pray, God, as we proclaim the gospel here for churches all around us in our community who today are proclaiming the gospel as well. For Brother Heath, as he prepares to share the gospel up the road at Chaplain Baptist, that You would speak through him, that many might be saved through the witness of that church and through the witness of this church, and that together with many other churches... You might use us for the glory of your name. We pray for this. We pray for this offering. We lift this up to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Today we'll be looking at verses 19 through 31 as we continue this Lord's Day to look at God's Word and see what it is that He might teach us through it. Uh, Last week we began looking at John 20 and we talked about what it means to understand the resurrection and how we can so easily miss what it is that we celebrate this Lord's Day. When we talk about Easter, we talk about so many different events and celebrations. Many of you are probably spending time today with family and and you're going to spend time doing special activities. And in the midst of that, often it's easy for us to miss why it is we celebrate the resurrection to begin with. And so last Lord's Day we looked at the beginning of John 20. And how the disciples themselves, themselves who walked so closely with Jesus, they didn't fully understand when they went to the empty tomb why it was empty. They would need further revelation from God. And we're going to read about that revelation today as the resurrected Christ Himself would come and would appear to them and would teach them. But what we're going to read about is a section of Scripture where as Christ does that, there's one disciple who's not there, Thomas. Who we refer to today as Doubting Thomas, because when the disciples explained to him what took place, uh, he doubts, he doesn't believe. We live in a day and age where there are many who doubt, there are many who don't believe, even those who have been taught about Jesus all their life. And so, today I hope as we look to this word that you will come to a better understanding, not only of the gospel, but of how it is we are to respond to and deal with doubts and Times of disbelief that may come about in our own lives and the lives of those around us. 
that we might learn from Thomas and how he responds and learn how it is we are to respond to this good news of the gospel. We do believe this is the holy, inspired word of God. It's without error. And so out of reverence for it, if you are able, if you would stand together as I read this text for us this Lord's Day. John chapter 20, we're going to be looking at 24 through 31, but I want to read the context, so I'll begin reading in verse 19, and this is what God's Word says to us. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. If you would pray with me. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name, that you might give us life for those who have yet to find life in His name, for those who are struggling today perhaps with doubt and disbelief. Lord, for, for all of us, even those in this room who have faith, our prayer is we have faith, help us to have a greater faith. We, we believe, help us to a greater belief. Lord, help us to understand the gospel today and to celebrate it. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over 20 years ago, there was a young lady who was starting her freshman year at college. She had grown up in a a small rural town, not so different from Bloomfield. And she had gone away to college, to a Southern Baptist college there in North Carolina. She had grown up in a believing home. She had grown up believing the gospel, having responded to it when she was nine years old and walked the aisle there in her church and 
So she was very excited when she went away to a, to a Baptist college and found out that her New Testament professor was going to be none other than the, the son of Southern Baptist missionaries. He, he had grown up on the mission field. She was very excited to see what insights he had to bring to teaching about the New Testament. And so with that excitement, this young lady went to her first New Testament class at this Southern Baptist college. Only to hear that professor come out and to ask, uh, how many of you would say you're Christians? Raise your hand. And so she, along with many others at this small Southern Baptist college, they, they raised their hands. He then said, I want to encourage you to withdraw from this class because by the end of this semester, I will destroy your faith in Jesus. Now, she wasn't sure what to do with that. She didn't withdraw from the class, but... Sure enough, over the weeks in that semester, she began to struggle and began to doubt. As he introduced more and more arguments uh, against the authenticity of Scripture, uh, more and more questions that she'd not been taught about in her small rural church, she began to struggle with doubt and struggle with disbelief. But God in His grace brought some other people into her life. They were part of a Bible study there on her campus and they began to sit down and open up the Word of God together and as they did, she began to learn from God's Word how to respond to these questions, to these attacks really on her faith and, and this attempt by this professor to have her doubt actually ended up resulting in her having a deeper faith. And I'm very thankful because that young lady went on to become my wife. It's good as a pastor to have a believing wife, so... What Sandy experienced her freshman year of college, though, it's, it's not so different than what so many have experienced many times over, not just on university campuses, in their high schools, in their middle schools, not just in academic settings, but just in our culture. We live in a culture that, that looks at what we believe when we speak from God's Word, and, and they doubt it. They, they don't believe it. And they, they, they ask us the same. How can you really believe such things? How can you really believe that this is what happened? How can you believe that there was a, a man that was born of a virgin? How can you believe that that man would then grow up and would claim to be God? How can you believe that this man who claimed to be God could then perform miracles? That he could look on someone who was without sight and with a mere word give them sight. Do you really believe that? How can you believe that? How can you believe that this man who could heal the sick, this man who could call dead people back to life, how could you believe this is really true, this is really real? The questions, the attacks come at us from all directions. And so what you and I experience as we grow in the faith is we have our faith challenged. And there are times that I think as our faith is challenged that we will genuinely struggle with doubts and with disbelief. In fact, if you've not struggled with that yet, I think there will probably come a time when you do. There will come a time when this God that you serve doesn't seem to be answering the way you want Him to. 
There'll come a time when you go to church and you hear everybody singing about blessing and you see how God's doing wonderful things in people's lives and you look at your own life and you ask God, God, why them and not me? Well, why do you give to them but you take away from me? And in that time, you will struggle. But in that time, I think, we can go from doubt and disbelief to a deeper and greater faith. And I think that's what we see in the text today as we look to this account of Thomas. Thomas who we refer to as Doubting Thomas, and yet I believe that's not quite a fair title to give him because I think if we're to call Thomas Doubting, we need to call all of ourselves Doubting because I think there are many similarities between how we respond to the Word of God and how Thomas did. I don't think Thomas is so unique in this passage today. He just happens to be the one that wasn't there when Jesus came. And I hope as we look at this that perhaps God will show you maybe some doubts, maybe some struggles that are there in your faith today and how it is the gospel helps us understand how to respond to those. My prayer today is that God would strengthen your faith and strengthen my faith. And if you're here this morning and you don't have faith, You've yet to truly trust in Jesus to repent and to confess Him as Lord. My prayer is that that's what will happen as we walk through this text, beginning with point one that I've put there in your notes. What we learn as we study the Scripture is that our nature is to doubt and disbelieve. Our nature is to doubt and disbelieve. We see here in the first portion of the text I read to you that This is after the Lord is crucified. This is after the disciples and the the women have gone to the tomb and found it to be empty. And this this is after those events. And yet the disciples are still a bit confused as to what's taking place here. In fact, in the text we looked at last week, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, you see there in verse 9, John tells us that they didn't understand the Scripture They didn't understand that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. So they go to the empty tomb and and they just don't understand it. What they do understand is fear. What they do understand is worry and anxiety. So they they, they lock themselves away out of fear that the Jews who put Jesus on the cross, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're coming after them next. And so it's in that setting then that, that the resurrected Christ comes to them. John points out to us that that the doors are locked. doesn't matter. Jesus is coming right in. And He comes to them. He pronounces peace on them. He he talks to them about the Holy Spirit. He talks to them about forgiveness. And the disciples are so glad to see the risen Christ. And yet, after they have this experience, they, they go to talk to Thomas. Thomas, who the Scripture doesn't tell us why he's not there. We don't know why he wasn't there, but... But he wasn't there, and so they go and they tell him, Thomas, you're not going to believe what just happened. (laughs) Jesus is alive, and he was there, and we saw his hands, and we saw his side, and he spoke to us, and and he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he talked to us about forgiveness. And Yet notice how Thomas responds to this good news. Thomas says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails... Place my finger in the mark of the nails. Place my hand in his side. I will never believe. And we read that strong statement from Thomas, and then we kind of, we call him Doubting Thomas. There goes Thomas, he's just doubting the Lord. Don't be a doubting Thomas. (laughs) 
And yet think about this for a moment. Well, why did Thomas doubt? Was Thomas one who always doubted? Or could it be that had any of the other disciples not been there that they would have doubted too? See, Thomas is one who up to this point in the Scripture, he's not a, a, a view of doubt. He's not characterized by doubt. He's actually one that's characterized by a pretty strong faith. And back in John chapter 11, Jesus has received the news that Lazarus has been sick, that Lazarus has died, and now he's going to go back there to comfort Lazarus' sisters, and he's going to end up raising Lazarus from the dead. There's only one problem with that. The area that Lazarus is in is the same area where these religious leaders are who basically have said to Jesus and his followers, we're going to take him out. We're going to kill him. We want him to die. And so Jesus' disciples, when Jesus starts talking about going back there, they're like, Jesus, wait a second here. There's a whole lot of other people you can minister to. We don't need to go back there. Jesus says he's going to. And then it's Thomas. Thomas. Who says this, not only to Jesus, but to the other disciples. Let us also go that we may die with him. It's not quite a picture of doubt, is it? And here's one who, like the others, they've already left everything behind to follow Jesus. And yet in this moment, he's saying, Jesus, they're going to kill you. They're going to have to kill us too. Let us go with you so we can die with you. Scripture goes on in John chapter 14 to give us another picture of Thomas. There it's where Jesus is teaching a familiar teaching. He's talking about how in his father's house there's many rooms. And he's going to go there and prepare a place for them. And then here's Thomas. Not so much the doubter, but the one who really wants to follow Jesus. And he hears Jesus offer this teaching, and he says to Jesus, Jesus, tell us where you're going, because we want to go with you. This is not the picture of one who's struggling to believe. This is the picture of one who believes to the point that he's willing to die. And yet... What he was hoping for, what he was believing in, trusting in a, a Christ who would reign here on earth now, who would take over, who had a, would have a political rule, those hopes are gone. Jesus has died. But there's greater life to be had. And when he's exposed to this teaching, Thomas doesn't know quite what to do with it. And the question is why? Well, I think the question is answered in the same way we answer in our life because our, our nature, we, we are born as people who doubt and who disbelieve. See, we don't think of ourselves that way. We think of ourselves as people who, well, I've always believed in God. Well, ever since I can remember, I've believed in God. Well, perhaps you've had a knowledge of God, and perhaps you've believed in the existence of God, but the Scripture actually teaches that with that knowledge and with that understanding comes a rebellion that we are born with. And that every one of us rebels against that truth. Romans chapter 1 says it this way. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, this is what Paul is saying in Romans. He's saying when you walk out of this church today and when you look around, creation screams to us, God, 
You think about it this way. We live in a day and age where you can flip on the Science Channel or Discovery, all these different channels, and, and you can see these, these fascinating pictures of God's creation. And not limited to what you and I can just see when we walk around, or even what we see maybe when we're on a plane, but you can see pictures that might start out in one little city on our planet and then zoom out to see our whole country, and then zoom out to see the whole world. And then zoom out from there and see planets. And then zoom out from there and see galaxies. How many of us watch that, see that, and then go, eh, I could do that. You know, in third grade I had some Play-Doh, and for science class I made my own universe, so not a big deal. No, we look at that and we see that, and we're in awe of that. Because it screams to us. There is a God who did this. Last night we were sitting down as a family doing a devotion together and recently one of our children has just been overwhelmed with the idea, how can God be eternal? (laughs) And so we've just had this ongoing conversation as we talk about eternal life, about how God has no beginning. And so she'll say, okay, I know God has no beginning, but how did God begin? (laughs) And we have this conversation, we go to the Scripture, and you just land in awe because we can't describe it. God is literally indescribable. And the Scripture says that. The Scripture says you look around, and even in your backyard looking at trees, you go, wait a second, I can't do this, man didn't do this, God did this. But the Scripture says with that knowledge that God is our Creator also comes rebellion. Right of Romans goes on to say, verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. See, the Scripture tells us that while creation screams creator, our hearts scream rebellion. And one of the ways we rebel is we rebel against who Scripture reveals God to be, and we try to create God in our own image. And that's why since the fall till now, you you can see man's attempts to worship that which he can understand which he can create. A number of years ago, I read about one religious group in California whose church worshipped God in the image of a mushroom. You're probably thinking, well, California, you know. But it's the same here. Talk to people in Bloomfield who believe they're here because UFOs from another planet, they placed them. Here, that, That's how we were created. Talk to people who believe that this is all just by some cosmic chance that we're here. Talk to people who believe that God is in the form of something we can understand, something we can create in an image. This image is God. This is the God I worship. Here's all the gods I worship. All in an attempt to create God in our own image. Because by nature... We rebel against the Word of God because the Scripture says by nature we sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And so we're rebellious people. You may be thinking this morning, well, that's, that's a little, little harsh, isn't it? I mean, I'm, I'm not that rebellious. Came to church on Easter and all. You know. The question is this. If for just a day, the whole world could be exposed to every thought that went through your mind and my mind, how good would you look then? I know I'd be fired. (laughs) Mark Twain, who never professed belief himself, wrote this, and I think he says it well. I once sent a dozen of my friends a telegram saying, Flee at once, all is discovered. They all left town immediately. (laughs) You see, deep down, we we know what others don't know. We, We know the darkness of our own hearts and minds. We know that we are indeed sinners. And rather than repent of that sin and turn from it, we try to make ourselves feel better. So we create religion around us to make us feel better. And yet God says there is a better way. But it doesn't come to us naturally. It comes to us by revelation. It comes to us through a radical life change that only God Himself can bring about. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Thomas. And point two there in your notes. You see, Jesus calls Thomas and He calls us from disbelief to belief. Scripture says here that Jesus visits the disciples again. And of course now, Thomas is with them. And he wants to make sure he's there. If this, this encounter they've spoken of, that he doesn't believe, if it's going to happen, he, he wants to be there this time. And so indeed it does happen in the same way John points out to us the doors are locked, there's no human way to get in, and yet Jesus, the, the, the risen Christ, He can't be held back by those things. So He comes in, He makes that pronouncement again, peace be with you, and then look at how He responds to Thomas. And remember what Thomas said. Thomas responded to the disciples and said, No! No, that didn't happen. And unless I can put my hands in His hands, my hands in His side, I will never believe. He says it emphatically. And notice what Jesus does here. Jesus doesn't come in and say, Thomas, what's your problem? Uh, Thomas, I heard you're having a little problem understanding I'm the risen Christ and, and just scold him. Jesus doesn't come in and say, Now Thomas, you, you may have heard some odd theories that, that I fainted on the cross and I'm here to tell you I didn't. He doesn't try to explain things to Thomas. He doesn't scold Thomas. Notice what he does. He looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. Thomas, I want you to come here. Thomas, put, put your hand right here on my side, Thomas. And in a gracious, merciful way, he says to Thomas, Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. I think that is so different than how when you and I are prone to respond to people who don't believe. I think when people tell us their doubts and tell us they don't believe, we're more prone to say, well, you know what? Turn or burn, buddy. (laughs) Get right or get left. All these cliches we throw out. Well, how can you not believe? So you think you know better than God? Well, you're going to find out one day. That's not what Jesus does here. 
Jesus doesn't scold Thomas. Jesus doesn't mock Thomas. Jesus simply says, Thomas, put your hands in my hands. Put your hands in my side. And then he commands him, Thomas, I want you to stop being an unbeliever. Thomas, I want you to believe. And notice Thomas' response. Thomas doesn't say, well, you know, I'm going to need a little while to think about that. (laughs) Well, Jesus, I'm not sure. Maybe I'm hallucinating like they are. Jesus, excuse me, Thomas looks at Jesus, verse 20, and he says, My Lord and my God. It is one of the clearest responses to Christ we have in all of Scripture. It's one of the clearest pronouncements of the Lordship of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. Thomas looks at Jesus and he says, You're you're my Lord and you're my God. And yet our heart tendency is not to believe that about Jesus. I read an interview just this week of a reporter, and they were interviewing a man who had just written a book that's like many books these days. A book that tries to explain, you know, Jesus was just a good teacher, but he wasn't really God, and the disciples got really confused, and now we're really confused, and we have all these churches that are really confused. What's interesting about this book is this author didn't do what so many do. He didn't attack the authenticity of Scripture. That's usually where it starts. But he went at face value on the Scripture and says, oh yeah, this this is what happened. But he says we just misunderstand it. So when Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord, my God, he says, well, what he was really saying was, hey, Jesus, it's good to see you. When Thomas said, my God, to Jesus, he wasn't really saying, my God, like we would think God. So what this author is proposing is that we today, thousands of years later, have a better understanding of what it is that was being said by those who actually were there and saw what was being said. That doesn't hold water. But there's a reason that people write books like that. It's because the Scripture says our foolish hearts are darkened. And claiming to be wise, we become fools. And in our rebellion, we we think we know better because we don't want to live under the accountability that God calls us to live under. We don't want to live with anyone as our Lord and our God. We don't want anyone telling us what to do other than we want to say what we're going to do and we want to feel perfectly justified in doing it. And yet God calls us to something more and we see it here in his call to Thomas. He says, Thomas, stop your unbelief. And Thomas, believe. And with that command, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And in saying that, Thomas is not saying, hey Jesus, you're here. <laughs> Thomas is saying, Jesus, you're, you're my Lord. You're sovereign. You're, you're in control. You're my master. Jesus, you're, you're God. You, you were there in the garden in creation and you're going to be there in the new creation and you're you're eternal and this comes through Jesus's word to Thomas and that's important for us to recognize because so many of us today we we want to see something in the years that Sandy and I spent ministering with college students. So often I would find myself in a conversation where someone would say something like this. Well, 
you know, if Jesus just, just appeared here today, then I would believe. My response was, probably not. <laughs> well, no, really, if He appeared right here, I'd believe. My response was, well, no, really, you probably wouldn't. Well, why would I say that? Because the Scripture is full of accounts of the presence of the Lord there, of the Lord God Himself speaking to man. And do you know what those men so often do? They rebel and they disobey. Adam and Eve are there in the garden, the Scripture says. That picture of paradise that we can't fathom. Can you imagine a setting where there is no sin? We can't get our minds around that. And here they are in perfection, in paradise... And God gives them everything. You can eat of any tree in the garden. Everything you need is here. But He places a boundary on the garden. He places a tree in the garden. He tells them, listen, don't eat of that tree. And through that tree, He's reminding them that ultimately they don't have dominion over all things He does. He's reminding them that He's God and that they're not. And what do they do? Those who walked with the Lord in the garden. They don't believe. They disobey. Scripture tells us that Jesus appeared to the disciples, to Peter, and they appeared to more than 500, and yet the account of the Scripture in the book of Acts is that out of those He appeared to, just a little over 100 went and professed Christ. They went and cleansed themselves of the temple. And so when someone says to me, if I could just see God, I'd believe. I said, no, you wouldn't. Because the Scripture says what you need is to hear the Word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. What you need, what the world needs, is not a vision or a dream. What you need, what the world needs, is the very Word of Jesus Christ that He has given to us that we might proclaim it to everyone. And His Word to you, and His Word to me, and His Word to the world, is what He said to Thomas. Stop disbelieving. Believe. And He says that with all authority. And He says that with great promise. Because in point three, He offers to those who will believe Eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life to all who will repent and believe. John goes on to say in chapter 20 of his gospel that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. See, John here tells us that what we need is the Word. And in response to the Word, we can believe. And Jesus says, there's a whole lot of other things that happened here. <laughs> John, I want you to tell him this. Write this down in your book. There's all these other things that happened. There, there are more dead people that were raised. There are more sick people that were healed. There are more lost people who are saved. There is more work that our Lord Jesus did. So what do you and I need that we might be saved? We need the Word that is given in this book. 
Because God says this has everything we need that we might respond in belief, that we might repent. That this has everything we need to help us understand that, that Adam and Eve in the garden, their rebellion came with a consequence and a promise. And that's amazing when you consider it. See, as a parent, and if you're a parent or grandparent in this room, you know, usually when you're disciplining a child, you're not trying to give them a whole lot of hope in that moment. I told you not to do it, and you did it again, and so now you can never eat again. I told you not to watch TV when I wasn't in the room, and so now we're taking all the TVs and we're going to send them to Africa. See, we, we give out these intense consequences that mostly we don't back up. I haven't sent my TVs to Africa yet. We're usually not thinking about giving our kids hope in those moments. <laughs> but that's what God does when He gives consequence. God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, and there's certainly consequence, and He backs it up. This paradise, it's gone. You're, you're out of the garden now. And you can't come back. But then, He gives them hope. He says to him, one day an offspring is going to come and he's going to crush the head of the enemy. And in that he's saying, one day Jesus will come and he will conquer sin and death. And one day there will be paradise again, Adam and Eve. And one day for you and the billions who come after you, there will be a Messiah who will go to the cross for your sins. The, the, the message of the Scripture is, God gives a command and man disobeys. God gives a command, and man disobeys. God gives a command, and man disobeys. Until we get to the Gospels, and God gives a command, and there's a man who perfectly obeys. And there's a reason He does that. Because you and I can't. And so if you've somehow grown up thinking, if I can just be good enough, I'll, I'll earn God's favor, and I'll go to heaven, you, you have grown up believing a lie from the devil himself. He would be perfectly content for you to think that until the day of your last breath. Because the Scripture says, you and I cannot obey perfectly. My goodness, we can't even keep a diet plan. Much less obey the Word of God. But there is one who obeyed perfectly on our behalf, and his name is Jesus Christ. And when we celebrate the resurrection, that's what we celebrate. That he went to the cross. The scripture says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might have life. And the beauty of the cross and the resurrection is that in his death that we deserved, we received life that we didn't deserve. And that comes through our believing. And so I hope that you'll understand that that's what this day is about. One of my earliest... Easter memories, I'm not so sure that it's actually my memory. I've been told the story so many times, I think I just kind of formed the memory. I was a couple years old. We had just moved into a new house. And that Easter morning, I did what many of your kids did this morning. I went out and I found my Easter basket there, my chocolate bunny. And I was so excited about that chocolate bunny until I dropped it and it broke. 
And so, being a wise two-year-old, three-year-old, I did what any wise two- or three-year-old would do. I took my broken money and I flushed it down the toilet. (laughs) Made sense to me, I guess. Now, I'm going to assume most of you here aren't professional plumbers, so let me give you a lesson. Chocolate bunnies don't flush. And so what I created was havoc and chaos because the, the toilet then began to overflow and then the, 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 the bathroom began to flood into the basement. And I'm sure mom and dad responded perfectly as parents. They can tell you the rest of the story. But all I was doing was taking something that I broke and doing with it what we do with broken things. Broken things are quite useless, aren't they? So I was getting rid of it. That's my earliest Easter memory. But I think of Easter differently now. Because now I understand from God's Word that broken things aren't useless. That God takes broken things and He uses them for His glory. That He takes us and our sin and our messed up broken lives. And He doesn't say, well if you just try harder it will be okay. No, He says look to the cross and look to the tomb. And look to the one who is broken on our behalf. God takes broken things and He uses them for His glory. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, Pastor, you don't know, I don't. Well, Pastor, if you only knew what I did, I don't know what you did. But I know exactly what Jesus did. He took sinful humanity and rebellious humanity and doubting humanity and disbelieving humanity and He went to the cross And He died in our place that we might have life. And I pray that you have that life today. And if you don't, my question for you would be, what what are you waiting for? Don't, Don't wait till next Lord's Day. Don't wait till next Easter. But today, see the truth of the Gospel. That we have rebelled against God. That our rebellion is deserving of death and eternity in hell. But Christ Himself has borne the penalty of our sin on the cross that we might have life and we have the evidence of that life in that empty tomb that we celebrate today. It is empty so that we don't have to be. Will you respond to that? If you have, will you pray that others do? If you see in your life today there is doubt and there is disbelief creeping in, will you heed the words of Christ who simply says, do not disbelieve, but believe. If you would pray with me to that end. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name. As a people who, as we often sing, we are prone to wander. As a people, Lord, who are filled with doubts and who don't believe. As a people who who struggle. As a people who sin. As a people who, if everyone in here knew the depravity of our lives, the darkness of our hearts, we probably wouldn't have a whole lot of people who wanted to sit near us. But Lord, it's that people that Christ went to the cross and died for. And that's what we celebrate today. And so, Father, I pray for that. I pray you would remind every person in here who has made that confession of Christ as Lord, remind them of what that means, that they might live this and every day for your glory. And Lord, for those who have yet to bow their knee and say as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. May today be the day that they do that. We pray for this in Jesus' name.
Amen.